With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. If he ever gets one more thing, two more things, he's going to be unstoppable. And, um, you know, we're talking to him about those things all the time. Um, Hopefully, hopefully that will come with maturity. But you know, he he likes to rely on what he feels comfortable with right now. Oh my! Wow! What? That's how we're starting the show. Uh, we we were just discussing plans of where among the obvious topics with the Vikings to start the show, and then Kevin Seifert with a retweet delivered into my Twitter feed. Something so shocking, so stunning, and yet maybe not, that we have to start talking about it right now. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Purple Daily. This is from your buddy, Michael Rothstein, who's come on the show before from ESPN. Reports on the Detroit Lions. He tweets this. The Detroit Lions are retaining head coach Matt Patricia and general manager Bob Quinn for the 2020 season. Owner Martha Ford told a small group of reporters, including ESPN, on Tuesday. Yep. What? I was just what? thinking about this Why? while you were on air. Why? I was thinking in the other room, man, Patricia gets a lot of flack, but we never, ever talk about Bob Quinn and how incompetent he's been since he got there in 2016. Yet here we are. Here we are. The Lions lining their way through this. Who would have thought? Oh, Not man. Not me. Uh, this, this, to me, just it's, screams. It's kind of like the Bears in the sense where they have ownership who probably great. needs to change. And I think that's the same thing with the Ford family. Yeah. Like, yep. my goodness, this is... You're, congratulations, NFC North opponents. Here's your Christmas gift. Right? Here's your Christmas yes. gift for the next Merry year. Merry Christmas to all Vikings fans and Packers fans. <laughs> oh the Bears are going to keep having Mitch Trubisky probably. So yeah. that's another so Christmas They'll probably present. extend him and pay him a lot, too. Let me, just, so. let me just show you how much the Detroit Lions love their head coach, Matt Patricia, Jameis Winston on Sunday, 458 yards, four touchdowns, 124.9 quarterback rating in a 38-17 to win. 318 of those Detroit. yards and three touchdowns came in the first 20 minutes of the game. How about after the Vikings loss, someone asked Darius Slay how he felt about Matt Patricia, and he said, it's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, you have Golden Tate forcing his way out of Detroit last year. You have them spending a bleep ton of money uh, when it came to bringing in defensive talent for a alleged defensive genius head coach. And this is where I would say I agree on Bob Quinn to some extent. 
but I think the coach has not done anywhere near what he could do with their talent. Let's see where they rank in a couple of, say, key areas from this defensive genius head coach. I'll just call up, I don't know, passing yards. That's important, right? Uh, 31st. 31st in passing yards allowed. The Detroit Lions, with their genius defensive head coach, are allowing a 102 quarterback rating against, which is the third worst in the entire NFL after getting Trey Flowers and Justin Coleman in free agency, spending a butt ton of money, and then also drafting a linebacker in the second round. And here we are, bring back Matt Patricia. Amazing! This, the Lions are gonna Lions forever. This is what happens, though, when you are stuck in the Patriot way nonsense, not realizing your name is not William J. Belichick, and thinking you can recreate this somewhere else, hiring Matt Patricia after one of the worst defensive performances in the Super Bowl. That's, I mean, Bob Quinn was entrenched. It's where he came up through the New England Patriots. He started there in 2000. was there his entire career. And then he gets the job as the GM of the of the Lions. Decides he wants to bring Patricia along, try to recreate the uh, want to be the Patriots of the NFC North, and look where it's gotten you. Amazing! Like, uh, it's Stephen oh. William Stephen Belichick, by the way, if you okay. were wondering. That's right. His um, son's name Stephen. Okay, yeah. well, whatever. You you always throw out J as a middle initial. Yeah, no, so I, I was for it. I just work. figured I would offer that I correction. It would work. Uh, so you can guarantee that the Lions are just not going to be competitive as long as Matt Patricia is around, which is probably for at least the 2020 season. And then you end up at the tail end of Matt Stafford's yeah. career. He's hurt this year. He was hurt, hurt last, last year. year. It's going to be really difficult for the Detroit Lions to be even slightly relevant in the NFC North. And the only chance they had was bringing in a new coach who could potentially rework things a little bit on the defensive side. Because they actually, under Matt Stafford, were a good offensive team and were horrific on defense, as we saw in Detroit, where Cousins carved them up. But they still put up 30 points on the Vikings defense. So it's a team that has enough talent, two great wide receivers, mm-hmm. a pretty decent offensive line read by Frank Ragnow, who's a, a good center, and just a coach who has no idea what he's doing. They nail it in the draft. Like They really had a good draft class in 2019 and 2018 when they get... Uh, I think it was Carry on Johnson was their uh, went Ragnow Carry on Johnson. They yeah. had some good offensive players. It's the coaching, clearly. You can't just get all this crop of talent... And, and and say, oh, well, it's just not panning out. I mean, two draft classes not panning out because of what you're doing with coaching, I think is more plausible answer. If I'm a Lions fan, I want to light my hair on fire. Yeah, this is This great. is awful. Uh, this is from Martha Ford via DetroitLions.com. We expect to be a playoff contender. That means playing meaningful games in December. Um, Mrs. Ford, put last, on your glasses. When's the last time you did that? You are not playing meaningful games in December under Matt Patricia, and not even freaking close. Uh, but amazing that they're going to keep those two together, and it might just be a money thing because uh, Tom Pelissero, our buddy from NFL Network, reports that Patricia and Quinn are under contract through 2022, so very possible that the Ford said, yeah, we don't really want to pay them to leave, so why don't we just see if so, this So uh, what this they're going to do, out. what are they going to do? They're going to fire their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and start there? Like not start at the top where it actually makes sense? Ian Rappaport, it's just, I'm sorry to do this. I I won't get too aggressive about this, but it is funny. He says, uh, Lions coach Matt Patricia back in 2020 with some expectations. Makes sense. No, sorry, Ian, it does not make sense. No, keep carrying that water. It does not make sense at all. to, To bring in a coach who 
took over a 9-7 and seven team that was run by Jim Caldwell, where you said, no, no, sorry, Jim, that's not good enough, that you went 9-7, and seven, that you were competitive and had a really great offense the year that he was fired, and get the results that they've gotten five wins and probably three wins out of Matt Patricia. You have tanked a halfway decent team who you brought in a guy to improve your defense, and he's had the worst defense in the league. Well, that's not Matt Stafford's injury's fault. That's You don't know what you're doing on defense. Because maybe you don't have the other team's signals because you're not taping them like Bill Belichick did. So what a great day for Vikings fans today. Yeah. I mean, celebrate Mike Christmas Z- I'm early. sure Mike Zimmer is probably thrilled right now. I'd love to go over and get a live look into his office at TCO Performance yeah. Center because, well, hey, Matt Nagy, too, and Matt LaFleur. I'm sure everybody's rejoicing just because of how boneheaded a decision this is. I mean, financially speaking, yes, if they're under contract through 2022 and they're both like synced up, that's hard to get rid of both of them at the same time. But I think the fact that everybody was expecting that to happen kind of even gave ownership the guys that, hey, you might be eating a little bit of money here, but for a team that has a young core and good talent and you're wasting the final two years of Matt Stafford's uh, contract that he is in Detroit because he's under contract through 2022 despite coming off the injuries, uh, it'd be a wise decision to start over. Yes, they just made these changes recently. Patricia's only been there for two seasons. Quinn has been there for uh, four seasons now. Um I just, it's baffling. I'm kind of at a loss for words for that because the Lions do some pretty darn right stupid things. Um, and this, this to me is the top of the list. I don't even think you can top this. Amazing, amazing. So Matt Patricia is back for 2020. and uh, to, play, to play two meaningless games here down the stretch of the season to try to play spoiler to whoever's going to win the NFC North. I mean, they've got green. The only, honestly, the Vikings should all be Lions fans in week 17 because the Packers play them at home. And that's the only chance for Minnesota to win the division at this rate. So, sure, get on board. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Actually, you have to cheer for Matt Patricia for a day. Cheer for Uh, him in the pencil. That's assuming that the Vikings win against the Mm -hmm. Packers next Monday, which, of course, we will build you up to. And uh, next Monday should be a cool show. Uh, Sage Rosenfels is going to come in, but also. My friend from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager, we're going to have a little like round table leading up to that game. So that should be fun. Um, but let's talk about a few other things that Mike Zimmer said yesterday that are pertinent to these last couple of games. And then in our next segment, we'll get into matchups that you like or don't like. Because Bill Barnwell wrote about the Vikings kryptonite. And I think that... I think everybody knows what it is. Yeah, but but I also think I might not agree with him. You want to start there instead? Sure. Um, well, so he, get my anger over... The Lions retaining Patricia and Quinn. Let's get it out of the yeah, way. Yeah, that's right. That's just um, well, that's that's the funny thing is that from a logical standpoint, like you and I are going to approach that and say, "What is wrong with you, Lions? Would you be good at some point?" But then, you know, if you're a Vikings fan, like you're you're cheering in your car, bringing sure. back Matt Patricia, Patricia, <laughs> two more years, four more years, any <laughs> amount of years for this buffoon. But uh, anyhow. So uh, Bill Barnwell wrote about what the kryptonite of the Vikings is, and he wrote about the cornerbacks. Mm -hmm. But I think that might have changed on Sunday, that it still is the biggest problem that they have on this team, but it might not be as big of a problem if Xavier Rhodes is going to play 14 snaps a game, and now Mike Hughes is essentially the starting cornerback. Well, the thing with with Rhodes that I think is interesting, because we were out there yesterday to kind of recap things with Mike Zimmer, and he was asked about the injuries, because somewhere in the first quarter of the game, Rhodes was behind the Gatorade cooler on the sideline, and I noticed it, and he was getting his 
Um, this is right calf because I had my binoculars and I was looking and it didn't look like they were putting something on it. It looked like they were kind of massaging it out. And then he sustains the calf injury. So he goes into this game with an ankle injury, which made him questionable to begin with. And then he gets the calf injury. And at some point, I don't remember when they announced it, I believe, either on TV. I don't think they officially announced it, but on TV, they announced he was questionable to return. He never did. 14 snaps is not a lot. That's like a Holton Hill workload. And Mike Zimmer was asked yesterday, hey, did the injuries have anything to do uh, with his workload? He said, no, that was the plan going in. Okay, we're going to just limit your supposed number one corner, the guy that you've been pumping or fist on the table, like saying, he's fine, it's just technique, it's this, that, it's fixable. And then all of a sudden, the plan going in is for Xavier Rhodes to play a fifth, a sixth of defensive snaps. Are we are we seeing something here? I mean, he can save the pass defense with its cornerback rotation. I believe that. But is Xavier Rhodes not being part of it? Is that going to be the plan going forward? Because it kind of looks like it if you base yourself, if you're basing this off what Mike Zimmer said yesterday and what we saw from Rhodes or what little we saw from Rhodes on Sunday. So um, I think that this is what we're going to see for the rest of the year and into the playoffs. I mean, I believe it. A handful and I, of snaps. Yeah. My question would be, should we give Mike Zimmer credit for making the change that needed to be changed? And also, isn't it funny? I've said this a million times, but I respect the fact that Zimmer struggles so much to lie. He could have easily lied to you guys and said, oh, yeah, just an injury, no big deal. He'll be back next week. And instead, you you coaxed it out of him that, yeah, we basically have benched him well, and made him a rotational that player. That could also be him being cheeky, being like, yeah, we know Xavier gets hurt every single game. We were kind of preparing for that. Yeah, that's true. Um, but... It looks more like Mike Hughes is going to get the majority mm-hmm. of the snaps, and possibly Holton Hill will mix in as well. Something that we've been asking for for about, oh, I don't know, eight weeks now? <laughs> Longer I mean, than that. Early in the season, it was very clear to us, the writing was on the wall, and to fans even watching at home, how often opponents were targeting Rhodes. But Zimmer believed that he could turn it around with, like you said, technique changes or schematic changes. And it seems he finally came to the realization, yeah, that's just not really going to happen. My guess is that what put him over the top is Rhodes getting hurt all the time. Because mm-hmm. I think that drives Zimmer crazy. And and he's made cheeky comments about it before, but I think it drives him nuts when somebody is constantly unavailable. That's based on comments from the past about Shree Floyd. I think it was, oh, there was somebody else that, that he made a comment about just... If you're not I mean, even, available, even Dalvin last year when it was like stop and go for Chad Beebe. six weeks for yeah. the uh, hamstring injury. Chad Beebe was the other one who um, he he was saying like, well, he's good, but he just he's needs to stay healthy. Play. Yeah, yeah he's exactly, out there. exactly. And and so I think it's very important to him that guys are reliable. And if Rhodes isn't going to be because of his injuries, then he's going to put in Hughes more often. My question would be: Do you criticize Mike Zimmer for doing this too late? Or praise Mike Zimmer for doing what needed to be done and putting aside the stubbornness. I think that big picture wise here, whether it happened week eight or week fourteen when they started, or yeah, week fourteen when they started rotating, beginning with the Lions game. Um, to me, it had to happen. And coaches are stubborn. Coaches want to believe in their guys. They want to. I mean, he said it himself at owners' meetings. He has a big contract. He needs to play up to it. Can't fault Zimmer for giving him every chance to do that. I mean, this is somebody who he developed. Yes, Rhodes got here before Zimmer, uh, but this is one of Zimmer's guys, and he has stood by him throughout all of the ups and downs of the last few years, has not thrown him under the bus, and still publicly hasn't. Maybe maybe this is kind of his way of, I mean, lack of a better term, putting him out to pasture 
in a way, putting his career in Minnesota out to pasture. Because now, you think about it, we've talked about the cap hit next year and, and what all could be done there. I mean, this is kind of an indication that, okay, Xavier, we're going to do this kind of quietly and not just yeah. an embarrassing, like, we're going to bench him the way that Josh Norman was benched earlier this year. Like, there's still a little Play bit of compassion yep. here. I mean, he's it's gone from not shadowing guys to getting blown up in coverage to now seeing his playing time decrease to with all the injuries mixed in. It's kind of just this like slow, painful uh, yeah. slide downward. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think Zimmer's done some things with his back against the wall that he's believed have put this team in position to save the season. Last year it was firing John Filippo mm-hmm. when it, that could have probably happened in week 10, week 11. Like yep. when, when Zimmer wasn't happy about the run pass balance and ratio, he could have fired him earlier. He fired him week 15, said that I felt like I needed to do this to save the season. Did it end up saving the season? No. But he made, you know, he made a call. I mean, you can't fault him for that. I mean, he made the call as the head coach, which is his prerogative. He's entitled to do that. Was it too little too late? Maybe. Is this going to be too little too late? Maybe. But it had to happen. And I'd rather see somebody be proactive instead of, you know, just kind of sitting by there and, you know, digging your heels in that it's, no, it's technique and fundamental. We're going to get him back to the way he was playing in 2017. No, you're not. Move on. Like, come to terms with reality, which I believe this team has. Um, but when we're talking about Mike Hughes, I, I do want to spin it forward to that because I think the cornerback rotation was good. But if we're talking about Mike Hughes from the first half versus Mike Hughes from the second half, and if that second half performance did not exist because the Chargers were chargersing them themselves out of this game, it's probably back at Lionsing, chargersing. It's probably back everyone at knows exactly square, what you mean. square one with with this because he did not play. Philip Rivers targeted him on the same route three straight times yep. in the first quarter. And he gave up that touchdown, too. I mean, Mike Hughes struggled. And I think that this could also be a way of the Vikings saying, okay, if we really want to let Rhodes go next year, we need to know that Mike Hughes is going to be able to play as a starter's workload 16 games of the season and be just as good on the outside as Rhodes was during his best years. And what's interesting is even though Hughes has been attacked on a regular basis, especially when he played against Dallas, when you look at his coverage grades from PFF, when he has uh, gotten more opportunities here recently, they're decent. And his overall quarterback rating against is 95.8, which is way better than the 132 and second worst in the league from Xavier Rhodes. He's just performing, even though not perfect, like people came to expect from the number one corner when Rhodes was at his best. He's been, Hughes has been solid. And that's all you need to be, I think, a good defense. That if you think that the Vikings are going to be a great defense all the way through the playoffs and not have somebody throw for 275 yards or 300 against them, sorry, that's probably going to happen. But if you can be average at this position and not dead last in the NFL, that's a huge gain that you have just made here by just proxy of, of being average. I think it's a as big or bigger of a gain when you go from terrible to average than it is from terrible to great. Or, or it's the same. It's the same it, type of it upgrade. It looks the same, at least on paper, because anything's better than what you had at your worst, right? right. Exactly. That's how I would view it. I mean, exactly. and, it, and it did look better. I mean, you saw what happened there with, um, I think, you know, Anthony Harris looked really good on Sunday. Mike Hughes looked good, better towards the end of the game. Um, Harrison Smith has looked great all season. I mean, I know that some people are going to say he's a step slower than he was, but whatever. That's age. Still a great player. Still a damn good player. Um, To see kind of at least 
a glimpse of hope within the secondary that, hey, they can fix it? Because I read Barnwell's article, and he's right. The team you don't want to face is a team that can throw a really good deep ball, and that's Seattle, which they already went through that and went through the Xavier Rhodes horror show in Week 12. So I get it. I, I totally understand um, the need to do it right now, and you just kind of honestly hope that it's sustainable. I'm glad that you tied that back in. Uh, I think that the team you don't want to face is the team with the best defensive line. And that is probably the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers, Because if you go through the schedule here for the Vikings, early on in the season, they really faced some game wreckers. And guess what they did? They wrecked the game. Uh, I was just pulling this up because I was in, I thought I was remembering this wrong, but I wasn't. That the Packers pressured Kirk Cousins on twice as many dropbacks as he had clean Mm -hmm. in week two. Well, and they also sniffed out the play action. I mean, they had guys waiting on the edge. Exactly. And so they had. It's hilarious because, like, two weeks later, however many weeks, three weeks later, Philly could not figure that out to save their life (laughs) because apparently they don't watch tape from the Green Bay game. Yeah. And Philly has a good defensive line. And they have a good defense. Yeah. That's my thought. But they seem to have a defensive coordinator that the Vikings can shred because they've done that twice with Kirk Cousins. Um, But. When it comes to the San Francisco 49ers, I think they have, if not the best defensive line in the league, top three defensive lines in the league. They have a very smart defensive coordinator and just game wreckers up there, Nick Bosa being the top one. And you might be able to take away one good player. Like the Chargers, for example, they have Ingram and they have Bosa, and the Vikings did a pretty darn good job of taking those guys out of the game. But when you have interior guys, too, who can crush, that's where the big issue is for the Vikings. That's where you're not going to get the same type of performance out of Kirk Cousins. And we saw that in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. When they started putting Chris Jones all over the place on the front line, he was getting back there almost every single snap. And all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins is throwing off of his back foot more often because he doesn't escape the pocket. He doesn't roll out. He doesn't step up. He stays in one spot. And that's when you get your strip sacks. And even Denver in the first half found ways to get after him like that. And they don't even have a great pass rush. So that's the one that I would say has the biggest kryptonite for the Vikings. Because if this team cannot produce a great offensive performance in the playoffs, I think they're going to be out because the defense is no longer perfect. You know who I think has the best matchup? Might be the team that they play next week. Like there's first off the old adage that you can't beat, nobody beats a team three times in the season. So even if they were to drop the game on Monday night football, they still would have to go to Lambeau potentially Saturday or Sunday of wild card weekend and face yet again a very good defensive line, but a team that's struggling offensively because it just doesn't have the horses uh, in the receiving game that they've had in years past. So San Francisco, I was talking with Judd about this not that long ago. Um, I think there's reason to believe that that is one of the worst matchups. But there's also, I think offensively, I mean, do you trust Garoppolo more than you trust Kirk Cousins in a playoff game? About the same, When you say? That's, that's to me, it's kind of like I, apples and oranges. Kind of like the Spider-Man meme? Kind of. Yeah, looking in the mirror, yes. essentially. But, um, you know, from, from an all-around team perspective, I think that you'd want to face the Packers in in that first playoff game, just given... You're already going to have seen him two weeks before Rodgers. That is. Yep. You're probably not going to be without. You're probably going to be without Dalvin Cook. So you don't need to even pull out all your stops because yep. you know he's not going to be playing. Assuming they're smart about this and decide, hey, we should probably rest our best offensive player for the playoffs. Um, I think you're in a really prime position to a pull out things that you were saving for this Monday Night Football game. To if it was if it was if they were going to have the chance to win the division on Monday, the stuff that you would save for that. But now you have a chance to get out of Lambeau Field, a place that you know it's going to be miserable for both teams first week in January. Nobody has the upper oh, yeah. hand there. 
Um, but I just think the way that they have been playing lately, the stuff that the Packers do and don't do, uh, and all that's being put on Rodgers and just how he's not going to be able to carry this team. I mean, look at what the look at what the San Francisco 49ers did to him uh, mm-hmm. in the offense in, what was that, week 11, week 12? That would also be another reason to be concerned about San Francisco, by the way, yeah. because that's a similar style of offense. Yes. Using a lot of the rollouts mm-hmm. and the bootlegs and stuff, and San Francisco just dominated them in, the fullback, in trying to do that. They love the and, fullback. And they the love fullback. the fullback more than yes. Minnesota does. And you should be terrified of Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, now, I, I agree with your point in terms of which place you'd want to go on the road, which could be considered some type of kryptonite for the Vikings, considering that they have had, against winning teams especially, trouble going on the road and getting a win. You look at the games that they've lost this year, going on the road to Green Bay, on the road to Kansas City, on the road to Chicago, and on the road to Seattle. Seattle would be a tough one for sure to go because it's a hard place to play. Lambo is the easiest one. As weird as it sounds, because everybody's been there so many times. The mm-hmm. shock of Lambeau just does not exist the same way for the Minnesota Vikings as it does for other teams. I mean, this is a group that still has quite a few players that in 2015 went down to Lambeau and got a huge win. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, they came back from down 22-7 to late in the game at Lambeau to tie, but they should have won that game. Um, and, and even this last one, they ran all over Green Bay and had a chance to win the game if Kirk Cousins maybe doesn't throw a pick at the end. I don't think it intimidates them the same way that it would intimidate or have the same type of effect as it would have for some other teams going to Lambeau. But it, the Dome in New Orleans, though, they, they, it's been a real long time since they've been there. And the way Drew Brees is playing, I wouldn't want to face that team there. Yeah, not unless you have like the officiating crew that's going to take a touchdown <laughs> off the board. <laughs> yeah, but, that's true. Um, that's true. They're going to get New Orleans back for sure. I think there's some intrigue with there being... A divisional opponent in the um, you know in in the postseason. Anytime you face them, I mean, you, you this is common knowledge. Like you guys play each other twice a year. Um, what more can they do? Like you know, you know these opponents better than anybody else. Yep. And that to me is why those can be some of the best playoff games. I mean, I think from a matchup perspective, it's certainly the most favor favorable for the Vikings. But from a fan perspective too, I mean, just the rivalry aspect is one thing. But just how well these teams can sometimes match up when everybody's healthy. Look, I'm, I'm taking the 2017 season out of um, recent memory. Yeah, of course. Brett so, Hundley's the starting quarterback so, there in Green so Bay. So yeah, I mean, no, I think that that's the one that they should hope for. There's, in my opinion, in my mind, I'm not even giving them the chance to be the five seed just because too many weird things would have to happen. But I also don't think it'd be as big of a cakewalk to go down to Dallas and win a playoff game as people are chalking it up to be right now just because they're a 7-7 seven and seven team at the moment. Dallas is a very weird team, and I want to talk about them more. But uh, at the center of the ESPN NFL page is something that's it's just too intriguing. I know I shouldn't click it. I know I don't want... No, no. Oh, I guess I will. The and yes, and yes, we'll talk about it. And thank you for ruining the tease. Uh, yes, ESPN has off-season priorities, and I know I shouldn't, but it's a Monday night game. We get a little extra time. Would here. you like me to read so you what my off-season priority was when we come back? Okay. Yes, we got to talk to Rob, and we will discuss I talk to it. Rob oh, yeah, that's right. We got that. Rob Domofsky coming up too. But still, that's what we're going to talk about at some point.
on the rest of the show. But Rob Domoski from Green Bay, we will talk with him when we return. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, it's Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. A reminder, Destination Winter St. Paul featuring the Wells Fargo Winter Skate and the Securian Financial Super Slide is open now through February 22nd at CHS Field in St. Paul. The Wells Fargo Winter Skate opens daily at 11 a.m. and the Securian Financial Super Slide is open Thursday through Sunday. For more information, visit scorenorth.com keyword winter. Mike Zimmer talking to the media yesterday after a big 39-10 win over the Chargers at the weekend talking about his offensive line improvements saying? Well, I think it's um, more than one area. I think, uh, you know, I think Kevin has done a nice job calling the game, which helps. Uh, helps um, the quarterback getting the ball out on time. Helps. He's not sitting back there and patting it. And then uh, the offensive line has done a nice job as well. So, you know, I think if you put all those three things together, um, uh, it's a combination of, of not getting negative plays. Do your holiday shopping online and save up to 70% with the Score North Holiday Online Auction. Golf packages, electric bikes, countertops, sea life passes, and more. To view and bid on items, visit scorenorth.com and enter keyword auction. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, and we welcome in, also from ESPN, he covers the Packers, Rob Domofsky. What's going on, Rob? How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. Um, Then Wisconsin, can you hear the screams and cheers of Packers fans when they just read that Matt Patricia is coming back for the 2020 season? (laughs) It's sort of like, Matthew, when... uh... Jay Cutler, you know, kept coming back to the Bears. Like, you know, th- there were no more sad fans when the Bears got rid of Jay Cutler than than Packers fans. But, hey, look, the Lions, believe it or not, have actually given the Packers trouble the last couple of years. Now, granted, they were weird situations. I mean, in 17, over in Detroit, Rodgers didn't play in the season finale, and they were already out of it. Um, last year, uh, you know, I I think it was last year, the season finale was a meaningless game because McCarthy had already been fired. Um, but Detroit's actually had more, a little bit more success in Green Bay, not overall the whole season, but, but, but against the Packers. So, you know, it's one of those jobs that I thought there was a little better than 50-50 chance it might open, and obviously now it's not. So you're coming up here next week. The division will not be decided next week. It comes down to potentially week 17 when the team you're talking about, the Lions, uh, come to Green Bay. And I don't believe after what we saw Sunday, three touchdowns by Jameis Winston, 314 yards of offense in the first 20 minutes, that it's going to be out of hand here whatsoever for the Packers. I think that they're the NFC North champions. They get that first round bye, et cetera, et cetera. When you look at the type of playoff team this team has a chance to be. 
what's their ceiling? Because I know that there's so much flack toward thrown Rogers way. And a lot of it's people who don't understand yeah. what this offense is built on now. Uh, and just looking at like, Oh, he has his lowest QBR of his career. He must suck. That's right. clearly not it, but washed. He's t- washed tell, me, tell me what the ceiling, we'll just start out before we even get into the Vikings game. What is the ceiling for this team in the playoffs? I, I would say Courtney that, you know, they would have a hard time winning against San Francisco or New Orleans and possibly Seattle. Now, the only uh, real hard evidence we have of that is uh, the game at San Francisco. The Packers went out there 9-1. and one. Everybody thought, oh, this is going to be uh, you know, the top two teams in the NFC, and the Packers got rolled 37-8. to uh, A little bit. It was really the same formula that they got beat uh, by the Chargers, the common denominator in both of those was that the four-man rush just destroyed the Packers uh, and got Rod, got to Rodgers big time. And they haven't played great since then. I mean, you mentioned the, the game, you know, the three-touchdown game the other day uh, beating the Bears. I mean, that's sort of – they sort of stumbled through uh, these last three weeks. They've won them all. But their last five drives, Courtney, they went three and out. In, in, in the game uh, here against the Bears, and, and the Bears almost lateraled their way to a game-tying touchdown. So while Rodgers and the offense remain, I, I think, a work in progress, and Rodgers hasn't been dominant, I do think they're a team that can get to the second weekend of the playoffs. I'm, if the game's not here on, on the second weekend, you know, which would mean that they wouldn't have gotten one of the top two seeds, they'd be the three seed. I think that there's no way they win at New Orleans. I don't think there's any way they win at Seattle or San Francisco. Now, maybe if one of those teams comes here, maybe they have a chance. Talking with uh, ESPN NFL Nation Packers reporter Rob Domofsky. So tell me, Rob, what is the biggest thing that is different from the Packers team that you see now from the Packers team that beat the Vikings in Week 2? The defense is worse. I mean, the, the first couple of weeks... They they played great on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they sh- they basically shut the Bears down in Week One. Uh, their pass rush was unbelievable. Uh, we two, Jair Alexander and Kevin King, just did an unbelievable job on Diggs and Thielen. Um, you know, see, or Diggs had only the one catch and it was a touchdown late. Um, Thielen was pretty was held in check. I still think he caught seven passes, but the yardage was manageable. They're not. They're not playing quite like that right now uh, on defense, Matthew. They're they're giving up the explosive play. I mean, they're 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 giving up the big play like crazy. Uh, now, the one thing they are doing is they're still getting pressure on the quarterback. They're still taking the ball away, and their red zone defense is still really good. And that's what's saving them. But they're giving but their yardage numbers, uh, third downs not great. Um, you know, they're giving up big yardage, but they are buckling down when they have to. What does this team remind you more of? Do you look at them and say, hey, okay, mediocre season, they can still turn it on in the playoffs. Are they more like that 2010 team that went on and, you know, they're 10-6, and six, second in the division, go on and win the Super Bowl, or yeah. are they that 15-1 and 11, 15 and 1 team from 2011? In 11. Yeah, they're not as talented, Courtney, as either one of those teams because those teams had – incredible weapons uh i mean we're, we're talking you know uh greg jennings jordy nelson uh a, a, a tight end and jermichael finley who, who was tough to cover james jones uh randall cobb was there in 11 he was a rookie in 11 donald driver was even still somewhat productive they they you know they just don't have 
they, they, don't, they have Aaron Jones and they have Devontae Adams, and that's it. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really all they have on offense. Now, that said, it would be more like the 2010 team who was 8-6 and six with two games to go, uh, kind of scuffling along. Now, Rodgers did have a concussion uh, that, that forced him to miss basically a game in three quarters against Detroit and, and New England before he came back for the, for the final two. And they snuck into the playoffs, and, and then they started making plays in the playoffs. And, and, and the plays that they made, people forget about. I mean, Rodgers was unbelievable in that playoff stretch. But people forget that they had big interceptions in every one of those playoff games, including a, a, a pick six in the Super Bowl game by Nick Collins. Uh, but, but that's the one thing this team does do is they take the ball away. Uh, if I remember right, Tremont Williams had a big pick to seal the wild card win in Philadelphia. Um, the next week, uh, somebody had a big pick in the end zone uh, to save a touchdown at Atlanta. And then in the NFC Championship game, I think Sam Shields had one and B.J. Raji had one. So th- this team reminds me a little bit of that from a defensive standpoint, but, but from an offensive standpoint in terms of weapons, it reminds me of neither of those teams. Talk with Rob Domoski, covers the Packers for ESPN. Uh, so let's discuss Aaron Rodgers a little more in depth here because is he the um, problem? <clears throat> well, I mean, that's I, what I, I want to know. I, I've been joking all year long that he's <laughs> that he's washed because that's sort of the internet, you know, joke about Aaron Rodgers. But yeah. this is just not the same guy when you look at whatever metric you want to look at. He's not scoring the same yeah. PFF grades. It's not the same yards per attempt that he used to have even a few years ago. And it's easier to pass in today's game than it even was five, six, seven years ago. So what is Aaron yeah. Rodgers now? I mean, he, is he a guy who can carry them to victory every given week, but you shouldn't rely on that? Or is he just completely washed? <laughs> Uh, he's definitely not completely washed, um, and you can take those PFF grades and sh- flush them right down the Bemis as far as I'm concerned because I've never thought those things were worth a, worth a damn. Um, I remember they graded Rodgers like terrible after like a four-touchdown, no-interception game, but um, let me move on from my rant on that. Um, the, uh, the, the, the thing with Rodgers is that they're, they're having a hard time finding ways to match what he does best to what Matt LaFleur's offense is supposed to be. And, and I think that was sort of the, the, the thing we wondered all off season, and it mas- manifested itself in how are they going to audible, because you know, this offense doesn't have a lot of audibles. Well, it seems like they've, they've solved that, but there's still times where this offense really looks like Matt LaFleur's offense, and then there's times that it looks like the old offense. And I still think there's a, a give-and-take battle happening there. I don't think Rodgers is willing to throw the ball into tight windows. Even le- He never has, really, because he doesn't want to turn it over. But he's less willing to do that because he doesn't have guys outside of Devontae Adams that he trusts, and he's not going to put the ball in harm's way. Matt LaFleur's biggest uh, emphasis was the ball. I mean, his first team meeting, he talked about the ball, taking care of the ball, and taking the ball away. And, and that's a good marriage with Rodgers because Rodgers doesn't turn it over. But, but sometimes it's to his detriment in terms of not making big plays that might be there to make because he's afraid of turning it over. And the other thing I would knock on him is he just, he still, and this is part of carryover from the old offense, he still refuses to take the check down or the easy dump off when it's there. Um, I do not think that his skills have diminished. I don't think that his arm has, his legs haven't. He still can run. Uh, I, I just think 
that he doesn't trust the weapons around him, and he's still feeling his way through the system trying to figure out how he can play, how he wants to play, and how LaFleur wants to play at the same time. Well, this feels predictable, doesn't it? When they go out and spend all that money on defense and free agency, and then the way that they addressed uh, the weapons around Aaron Rodgers was was not what he wanted. So with that in mind, and knowing that this is what they have, this is what they need to do to win XYZ, um, who needs to have the bigger outing? Down the down the stretch here, and really, let's just skip ahead to the playoffs. Who who does he need to rely on more yeah. in the playoffs? Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones? Well, they've been at their best when Jones has been involved, Courtney. But from not just a running standpoint, but in the passing game. I mean, and, and that's Lafleur's offense. That's getting the backs the ball, you know, out in the flat. That's splitting Jones out in the slot, putting him out wide, which they've done before. Um, you know, they played their best football when Devontae Adams was out for those four games with the turf toe injury. Now, I would never suggest that they're better without Devontae Adams because I still think he's an elite receiver. But they haven't been able really to find a way to get both of them going at the same time since maybe that Vikings game when both had big games. Um, So I would say at this point, Jones is more important. There are people who think that the Packers need to somehow involve someone other than those two guys. They need to find other weapons. But when Rodgers is asked about that, he continues to say, we just need to get the ball more to our playmakers. So that tells me that he wants to rely on those two guys. And, and again, going back to the trust factor of just not having uh, you know other guys that, that he relies on. And, and, and to your point, Courtney, about spending in the offseason all the resources on defense, they had to. I mean, they were so bad defensively, um, and, and they had to. But at their the expense was they really didn't add any anybody on the offensive side of the ball. So um, you know that'll be a key this offseason. I, I you know I think they probably looked at it as a two year building project, and the fact that they're eleven and three right now without adding much on offense, you know, probably means they're ahead of the game. Rob, uh, last thing for you, Aaron Rodgers in U.S. Bank Stadium. It hasn't been super friendly to him. Uh, he got hurt real bad no. once. Uh, he lost the first game against the Vikings, against Sam Bradford, who had just yeah. arrived like 10 days before at U.S. Bank Stadium. It just, uh, and even last year, Sheldon Richardson hit him a bunch of times real hard. Um, so yeah. as he comes to U.S. Bank Stadium next Monday, is it something about this building? Is it the Mike Zimmer defense? Like, what is given him so much trouble about U.S. Bank Stadium? Yeah, obviously, like you mentioned, they haven't won there. Um, nobody here has won. Nobody on this team has won in that stadium as a member of the Packers. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, 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 first of all, it's always been a, uh, a great home field advantage when Minnesota has played in an indoor stadium. Uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, the Packers won twice at TFC, at, at the U, right? I mean, if I think both those games, the Packers won there. But but I can remember going back to the Holmgren days about, you know, boy, they could never win at the Metrodome. You know, it just it was just so hard, the noise, the, the fans, the atmosphere. But in this case, I just think it's the really good defense that, that Minnesota has seemingly always had for Rodgers. And Rodgers has talked about, you know, the Zimmer system, you know, even before that and how much trouble it gave him uh, when he was in Cincinnati. I, I think they only obviously played him twice, but... If I'm not mistaken, he was 0-2 against Zimmer when Zimmer was the defensive coordinator in Cincinnati. So it's a it's a system that you know is is obviously really good, but the players are outstanding at every level of that defense. I remember looking last year, you know, at, comparing the Packers defense 
to the Vikings and the and the Packers had basically had no playmakers at every at any level of the defense, and the Vikings had playmakers at every one of them. And going back to Courtney's point about you know what they had to address, I think they looked at that defense and said you know this is where we need to make gains, and I think that's ultimately what's been the deciding factor in those games over there at U.S. Bank. All right. Well, I, I think that's a, a, a great breakdown. And still, even though the Vikings' passing defense is not as good as it has been in the past, still the case that you're going to face Harrison Smith, which seems to give uh, who seems to give Aaron Rodgers yes. fits, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin. It's still the same guys. And even, even Rob, just checking down to Aaron Jones becomes pretty difficult when the Vikings have Eric Hendricks playing the way he is. Um, so I think this still be will be a very tough matchup. And I, Rob, I'm going to pick the Vikings because of the home field advantage. I think um, if this game was in Lambeau, I might not. But I feel like the Vikings yeah. are playing some of their best football now, whereas the Packers are kind of grinding to the end. I'm with you on that. I'm leaning toward um, picking the Vikings as well. And, you know, I mean, the Vikings certainly don't want to see the Packers, uh, you know, win the division on their home field, right? I mean, because, you know, that that would be the ultimate insult. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm at this point leaning toward Minnesota as well. And I think these teams are on a, on a course for both being what that would both finishing 12 and four and possibly having a rematch in a three, six playoff game. Oh man, I can't wait to drive down there and then drive back through the corn and try not to hit deer on the way back home after the game. It's always a wonderful. We won't have fog at that time of year, though. Like we typically do during the. Could have ice, snow, so that'll be great. At least you Uh, can see. As as opposed to going to say New Orleans in January. Uh, Anyway, uh, I won't complain. But Press Box Food in Green Bay is elite. So um, make sure you follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Domowski. Rob, always great to catch up with you, man. Great stuff. All right, guys. We'll see you Monday night. Yep. Thanks, yes, Rob. we will. Monday night feels like it is forever away. It's kind of weird when it's a, six days when away. you're the Monday. Forever, I said. Uh, real, just real quick, because you know me. Um, that PFF grade, that one game in 2015 that everyone has latched onto, is the like one, the four touchdowns. Zero. He threw five touchdowns against KC, and they gave him a pretty average grade. What was it? Uh, it was 67. Now he's still Aaron Rodgers over his career has either been one, two, three, or four in their PFF grading through his entire prime from 2009 until 2014. And then again, in 2016, he was either one, two, three or four, almost every one of those years. So like they still say Aaron Rodgers is good saying that that game like debunks all PFF grades is like saying, Oh, it's hotter than usual today. I guess uh climate change isn't real or whatever, or colder than usual. Climate change isn't real. Like, okay. What, right. um, anyway, well, the, I just, I had to say okay, that, that's, that's but fair. Uh, aside from that, um, what was the outrage though? I mean, was there, did they speak, he, speak about it publicly? Did anybody get no, like up just in arms a, about a it? A bunch of people got upset because he threw five touchdowns and they didn't give him like a 90 grade. Yeah. It was a blowout well, what, game. Why did he have such a bad grade? Oh, it, well, it's, it's, it's really, per attempt it's really, what was it? it's an average game is 67. And I think the reason was because Kansas City at that time had a horrific defense and a lot of the throws, especially the touchdowns were wide open. Mm-hmm. And if you make an easy wide open throw, you don't get huge mega bonus points from PFF. If you make a great throw, then you do. So the next week they beat San Francisco and he had an 88 grade, but only threw one touchdown because this is real football and not fantasy football. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just to, to put that aside. I, it's something that gets brought up a lot. I'm like, but check the rest of his grades. Like they always say that Aaron Rodgers is good. Okay. PFF is not. But anyway, it, put that aside. 
Uh, so you enticed me on your internet website, which is ESPN.com, with the headline about the off-season. And it should be against the rules, but I'll break the rules because it's my show. Uh, so you wrote the biggest need for the Vikings, potentially. I did. Please. Please uh, tell us. Oh, wait. So I'm actually like, you told me I ruined the tease earlier. Yeah, so you're you actually did. giving me per- permission now to speak? Uh-huh. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so you could have looked at this in a number of different different areas that need to be fixed. Like, what are they going to spend the offseason doing? Well, honestly, the next few weeks, and even what happens in January, if it's a 40-point blowout loss in the playoffs, might change what their prerogative is going to be. What's priority number one? So I took the safe route and said cap concerns or cap Space. I don't. It, we had to pick two words and describe it. I don't. What did I say? I wrote this like yesterday. I was on cap the, decisions. Cap decisions. You said. So the cap goes up between like one eighty nine and two hundred one million, somewhere roughly there. Was it one eighty eight point two this year? Um, more money for a team that's currently four point eight million dollars over the cap projected wise in two thousand twenty. It's a good sign. But they still have so many tough financial decisions and ones that we can even talk about today. First two, you think of Kirk Cousins' extension, Dalvin Cook' extension. Well, as somebody asked, I think, both of us on Twitter not that long ago, is Dalvin going to start getting the injury-prone label because he potentially is what Adam Schefter said on Monday Night Football last night, I saw circulating. It sounded more opinion than, like, this is what's happening. But it is the wise opinion to sit him for these final two games. You'd rather not have him if if you can lock up a playoff bid, either the Rams giving you an early Christmas present or if you take care of business at home where you don't lose games um, and you have Alexander Madison back potentially, sit him instead of losing him in the first quarter in New Orleans. Smart decision. But with that said, circling back to the original point, is that going to hurt him in contract negotiations? Is a team going to say, well, look, you're injury or prone. You have not played a full 16-game regular season schedule since you've been here. We don't want to give you $14, $15 million a year on yep. average the, the highest to make you like the highest paid running back. So that, to me, once the season ends, because the day that the season ends, his contract expires pretty much. I mean, he can go ahead and start looking to get the extension going into year four because he was a second-round pick. So those are the two things that I look at in January as the biggest uh, prerogative for them in the offseason as it stands right now. But it's also, when you're thinking about this in the cornerbacks and, and how bad this past defense has been, now that you know what your priorities are going to be, assuming, you know, I'm Rob Brzezinski and I'm looking at, you know, just the way all these numbers are going to work. Do I want to keep Trey Waynes? Do I want to try to keep him over Mackenzie Alexander? Because to me, that's you know, a no. Well, you look at the play on the outside. That's probably more of a liability right now than it is at nickel. So maybe you can go. F- I had this argument with somebody recently. Like, I don't think you can just go find another nickel. It's not exactly the easy position to play. I agree. Um, and I personally would not pay for Waynes when I think he's been very average this year and keep McKenzie and give him, you know, a respectable eight, nine million dollar a year extension to play nickel since he was a second round pick. But you have those two decisions. And then beyond that, it's Riley Reef. Are you going to want to keep him around in 2020 or let him go? And, and he's making a case for it. He is. And Everson Griffin, probably not here next year. Kyle Rudolph, what's his deal beyond this season? Because you know they could probably restructure his deal as well. Um Xavier Rhodes. In or out. I mean, there's so many financial decisions. Like, for a team that appeared to have handicapped itself 
within free agency because of the Kirk Cousins contract, they're now going to, ha- they might have a very busy offseason with their own guys alone, like just the, the makeup of this roster, because they could still think that they're in a Super Bowl window next year. And they very easily could be. But financially, what's, what's the cost of that? Who has to go in order for that to, to stay? Uh, to stay relevant, but also who has to come in? Like, how are they going? Like, what are the what is the number one priority in the draft? I mean, right now you could say it's going to be a corner, but if you end up letting Riley Reef go, are you drafting left tackle first over like your first round pick? I don't yeah, know. All of a sudden, uh, and I again, this is a long way away, but as we're here with a big sample size now of seeing how these guys have played, it it does become a situation where you have kind of more spots that you're going to need to fill than money and draft picks to fill them. And that's assuming that you're keeping Kirk Cousins and signing him to a contract extension and not drafting a quarterback in the first round, which is still on the table, though I think that they will try to sign Cousins to an extension, but that doesn't mean that he's going to sign it yeah. because he could decide to do good, the same thing he did last time. He's got good leverage right now. Exactly. He's got <laughs> great leverage at this moment. Um, so maybe he will or maybe he won't. Those are the two, though, that you named first with Kirk Cousins and Delvin Cook that matter the most and are the most interesting to me. The Delvin one with this injury becomes much tougher for the Vikings. because It's his other shoulder, too. I mean, he has two bad shoulders now. If you had asked in Week 10, I think 100 out of 100 people would have said, oh, yeah, sign the guy up. But once you see him get hurt twice in such a short time span, and all of a sudden that yards per carry has gone from over well over five to so like four three, and a half. It's like 3.9 right now. It's it's four and a half now for the whole season, and over the last like last five, five weeks, games, it's like it's, three and a half. Yeah, it's and he hasn't topped. Like his, he's averaging like, what, 40, 50 yards a game the last five games? I mean, really ever since he got hurt against uh, the Broncos. Right, and so we're having the same conversation that we've had before, but they also love him. And he's also really super good at football when he's 100% healthy. Um, so that's going to be, to me, top of the list. And the rest will fall into place uh, with Riley Reef. It's could you really expect uh, even a first-round left tackle to face some of the players you're going to face on defense on a regular basis in the NFC? Mm-hmm. You're going to play Khalil Mack twice. You're going to play Zadarius Smith twice. And you're going to take a veteran tackle out and put in a rookie that's a pretty tough ask you know so they will have a lot to juggle in the offseason uh let's take a break we'll come back alex boone's going to join us and we are going to discuss daniel hunter's case for defensive mvp i made it at our website scorenorth.com make sure you go check that out we'll be right back and the three of us will discuss here you're listening to purple daily on score north tcl is a proud sponsor of the score north studios tcl america's fastest growing tv brand it's Purple Daily. See how the Chargers start this second half. They started with Austin Eckler in the backfield. And a little give to Gordon. Gordon lost the football. And the Vikings have it. Danell Hunter picks it up. If he ever gets one more thing, two more things, he's going to be unstoppable. And, um,. You know, we're talking to him about those things all the time. Um, hopefully, hopefully that will come with maturity. But you know, he he likes to rely on what he feels comfortable with right now. Really, Mike? I mean, really, 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 Mike? I mean, we're talking about Daniel Hunter, thirteen and a half sacks, number one in the NFL in pressures, and Mike Zimmer's analysis is, yeah, well, we still need to do some other things. Come on, Mike. He's 25. You can't <laughs> let him get on, comfortable. Well, get him, Not get, that he would, because you know his personality. The but 
I, I think he does. I mean, Sam, this is one of this is one of the guys that they drafted and developed. He is the crown jewel of a draft class that is absurd when you think about it. Teams don't just have a 2015 draft class like the Vikings pop up, but I get it. I mean, I understand where Zim's coming from on I know. that, and I can Coaches are going to coach, but I just thought, man, like give the guy just a thumbs up. Uh, we welcome in Alex Boone to the show as well, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. Uh, Alex, Daniil Hunter, defensive MVP, how does that strike you? I mean, he is making a serious case for it. And I think that when you're looking at him, dude, he is unstoppable. And, and people, like, give Coach Zim a lot of, you know, like, dude, come on, the guy's incredible. But he's right. You're professionals. You're expected to do it even better every time. And I think that that's one of the tough things about being a coach sometimes is you're like, man, Daniel, you're absolutely destroying this entire team. But listen, we could do a couple things better. Like, people look at you like, what? <laughs> what the hell's wrong with that guy? You're like, well, he's a pro. We have to keep pushing the pros to be even better because they can, in their wildest dreams, all of a sudden they become that person. So I, I like him. I'm more on the Eric Kendricks train. I'm sorry. There is something about this kid's life force on this defense that is so awesome. And the fact that he can cover and hit people and chase you down and do everything, bat it away on fourth and five when it's Ezekiel Elliott and it's just the whole game and – To me, I think he makes a better case for it, in my opinion. I'm sorry. I'm with you on that, Alex, because I wrote something on this for tomorrow, assuming that he doesn't get the worst snub of recent memory and not get named to the Pro Bowl tonight. It would be some terrible snubbery. That would be a huge snub. That would be snubbericious. The biggest. The biggest. Um, Snubposterous. Snubposterous. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a guy who's been overlooked. Oh, yeah. Among a team of defensive stars for his entire time he's been here, he's you know, and it goes back to to high school where he was an overlooked recruit, um, and then he goes to UCLA as a three star prospect. He ends up winning the Butkus Award, which is the best linebacker in college football in 2014. Then he's told, "Hey, you're six foot three, two hundred thirty pounds. You're too small to play in the NFL to be a first round pick." And then he's a five year starter in Minnesota. So I look back at the numbers, and obviously. The thing that everybody's talking about now, coming off of the performance in Week 15, he's number one ranked linebacker by Pro Football Focus. He was juggling between that for a while. He was number two most of the season. 12 pass breakups is a new Pro Football Focus record for linebackers this year alone. So he's been incredible in coverage and all they're having him do. Lowest percentage of targets caught into his coverage, which is also absurd. Fifth most run stops by any player, ranked third in pass rush productivity among all linebackers. I think he makes a quiet case and almost even a better case than uh, Daniil Hunter. And that's not to discredit anything Daniil's done. 50 sacks by the age of 25. and So you want you know, Daniil traded? Yes, exactly. Get him out here. Get him out tomorrow. Sure. I think I think you're right, though. And, and here's my question is, when you're looking at, like, when we were talking earlier today about the defensive player of the year, there's, like, five names that hit my head right away. And you're like, well, what is everybody looking for? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's so many different criteria to make it. Like, the first two were Minka Fitzpatrick and Stefan Gilmore. And you're like, well, those two, because they're interceptions. They're, and they always have a nose for the ball. And they know what they're doing. And, and then you think back and you're like, well, if it's tackles, then it's going to be somebody like a Luke Keekley or a, you know, a Kendricks or somebody like that. But what if it's about sacks? Like, there's so many things now that guys have really separated themselves for that you're like, well, what is everyone really looking at? Like, what makes you a defensive player of the year? Yeah, for me, it's entirely about how much value you have brought to your defense and, and what the different things that you do 
uh, like how they impact the other team. Now, Stephon Gilmore, in my mind, probably is number one because quarterbacks throwing at him have a 32 quarterback rating, which you actually it's would have terrible, right? uh, you'd have a higher quarterback rating if you spike the ball into the ground every time. <laughs> <laughs> but since he keeps intercepting passes and running them back for touchdowns, they have a lower quarterback rating than if you just incompleted that particular pass. That is a massive impact on trying to pass the ball against the New England Patriots because you literally cannot throw to whatever side of the field he's on because he'll probably intercept it for a touchdown. That's a big problem for you. Uh, with Daniel Hunter, he leads the NFL in quarterback pressures. And if you look at how much quarterback rating goes down when guys are pressured even the best go from 115 quarterback rating to 80 something you go from being a superstar to a backup essentially when you get pressure even when you're one of the best quarterbacks in the league and if you're not then you become a guy who would be playing in the xfl essentially when you get pressure that's a massive impact for someone like Daniel Hunter. Kendricks's, though, I think is a little harder to pin down exactly. In the NFL today, we have so many teams that throw to tight ends, so many teams that do checkdowns and stuff to running backs and rely on those to get big yards. So to have somebody who is always uh, getting into his gap and making plays on, on the run and, and keeping you behind the sticks and not allowing you to just throw these little swing passes out to the flat – I think also brings a massive value that's a little harder to, uh, I guess, define than a defensive end or a cornerback. I mean, this to me is probably one of the more wide open defensive player of the year candidacies, I guess, races that we've seen in a while. Because it's not Aaron Donald dominating everybody else. It's not Von Miller at the head of the list. Um, It's not J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt. Yeah, you've gotten, there's no clear cut and I'm writing about this for Monday because it plays into it. There's no clear-cut superstar pass rusher dominating everybody else. Daniil Hunter technically is that, but the persona, I think, nationally is kind of what keeps him out of the spotlight of being this household name. Um, he's just not that guy. He's kind of this like quiet superstar who has aggressively gone through this season to where he should be a lock for the Pro Bowl tonight. Uh, but in terms of an All-Pro career, an All-Pro 2019 and, and a Defensive Player of the Year 2019 He's still just like not on the tip of your tongue. I think if you're not a Vikings fan or if you're facing him every single season in the NFC North, I mean, that's why to me, like there's still levels of his game, like what Zim was saying at the top of the, at the top of the hour that, you know, as a run stopper, he's gotten better. That's been a part of his game that I think he's really focused on that is completely underappreciated. Everybody thinks of him as a dominant guy off the edge. He's pretty darn good against the run too. Right. And I, and that was my whole point was, there's no specific one person that rolls off your tongue like everybody's like last year everybody would have told you it was Aaron Donald like because there's just the way he went through offensive lines like he was a wrecking ball and then the year that Khalil, Khalil Mack, Mack yeah right I mean they, you just saw they were so dominant you're like there's no way that guy can't win this year if it's gonna be like a big hey what are we gonna look for I would say give it to a guy like Eric Kendricks you look for a guy that's like hey who inspires the guy or guys around him that's a Kendricks to me you know you talk about a guy like a Sean Lee down in Dallas guys like that that inspire people around them if there's no one clear cut guy because listen you could do it off sacks there's like three guys you could do it off interceptions there's three guys or you could do it off one guy that you're like man wh- who's the one guy that's been out there that has just been wreaking havoc all year you know and before that there could have been a good case for Quan Alexander early in the year you know like guys like that that were just had a nose for the ball could cover well and just led their defenses and did a great job that to me was like man that's a defensive player of the year well give me your perspective on this for being on the field Alex of which is scarier for an offense when the opposing team has 
a top five pass rusher, a top five linebacker, or a top five corner? Which one do you go into a game going, we're in more trouble because they got that guy? Which position do you feel like is tougher to manage when the other team has an elite player? I really do feel like it's a linebacker, and I say that to say this. If you have one pass rusher, that's easy to stop. Like, dude, we're just going to chip you and throw the running back at you all day. We're going to have the guard coming out to you. You know, there's ways to defuse that. Same thing with the cornerback. Listen, if you have one great cornerback, that's great. You took away one side of the field. We'll just use the other side of the field. Like, we can run decoys, too. We don't care. When you have a middle linebacker that can run sideline to sideline, is tough to block, doesn't care about sticking his head in through the A-gap with full force, can rush the pass or cover your tight ends and your elite backs. Like That's your guy that you're like, how are we going to stop him? I remember times when, before Kendricks was really Kendricks, it was Luke Keekley to us. And it was always yep. like, how are we going to get him stopped? Well, we're going to whack him. We're going to crack him. We're going to wham him. We're going to send the guards at him. <laughs> we used to change our entire offensive scheme for him because we didn't want him to get going. So we would, instead of like sending the guard through the three technique to Luke, it would be an automatic Raider call. And you were just gone. Hey, dude, you're on your own. I'm going to go get Luke Keekley however I have to get him. If you have to cut him, get him down. If you have to hold him, you got to grab him. He was so slippery. Now, people have kind of caught on to him, and, and as you know, age will have its effects. So now Kendricks is the next guy coming in line. And people are like, dude, how do we stop this guy? We can't block him. He's covering our backs when we don't want him to. Like He's showing up on the field in the most crucial times in the most positive way. I pulled up a stat earlier um, just thinking about Running, they've remember how good they were three years ago, the year before he got his contract, and stopping running backs from catching passes. Yes, yep. So yes. I looked at kind of the progression for that uh, from 2017 to 18, and, and it, re, it sparked my interest in that because of what Zim said yesterday that they ran the exact same play at Kendricks that I believe it was Todd Gurley on Anthony Barr in uh, the Rams game a year yes. ago, and clearly a very different result this time around. Um, so in 2017, they're six in receptions, third in QBR, first in yards per reception, 6.5. 2018, 14th fewest receptions, 22nd in QBR, 24th in yards per reception. This year, eighth fewest receptions, 10th lowest total QBR, and 19th in yards per reception. I was honestly kind of surprised about that last figure. I mean, the discrepancy between 7.9, where they are this year, and 6.5 yards per reception is, cons- I mean, that's that's... Over the course of time, that's a big number, but it's really not that far off when you're looking at it like a small sample size in a vacuum, and he's a huge part of that. Like, going going back and watching, um, Matt and I were talking about this this morning, kind of like, what what's the best play you can remember from Eric, from Eric Kendricks this season that was not from the Chargers game or not the fourth and five pass breakup when they're throwing a Zeke Elliott and, and trying to mount a comeback? And, I mean, this guy is... All over the place, right. like yeah, the, the way that he reads plays and, from every game. It's yeah, the like. way he reads and reacts. I mean, he went back and thought about that Detroit game when the Vikings are only up by four. It's the fourth quarter. Um, it's fourth and two, and just the way that he reacts to seeing the running back motion out into the flat, and then seeing that it's not going to be what he initially thought it was, and, and, and gets the stop right there on fourth and two. I mean, he that changes potentially the course of the game. Like this is. You know, for all that he's being asked to do, for all we're seeing with the evolution of the linebacker, and I mean, he is the evolution of the linebacker. Yeah, it's not Anthony Barr anymore. I mean, right. it's um, it's the Eric Kendricks types. I mean, I think that that puts him immediately in the conversation, somebody who deserves that award, because as cliche as it is, all the stuff that he does that quote-unquote doesn't show up on the stat sheet, it's very true. Think right. about the Odenabo play from Sunday. 
He he doesn't hold Austin Eckler down and pin him down there by the sideline. Does does Afadi have time to to stop and pick up the ball and run with it? Right. Well, I, you know what, what I think is interesting about Kendricks uh, is that the value of the linebacker position has gone down in a lot of teams' minds. Like they don't want to pay for it as much as they used to, and that kind of includes Kendricks, who got a very reasonable contract uh, when he signed his deal, even though he had performed extremely well over the first four years. And so if you have one of those guys that can do stuff that everybody else can't do, I think your value is elevated. That there are a lot of players, and this is not to take away from Daniil Hunter, I made the case for him for defensive MVP, but there are a lot of guys putting pressure on quarterbacks off the edge. Like That happens all the time in the NFL. Each week you're facing a guy who's really great at it, more likely than not, or you're probably playing a bad team. Uh, But every team has one of those. Not every team has a game-wrecking linebacker who can do absolutely everything, and and to me that pushes up uh, the value. Now, Alex, I think uh, Kendrick should be a lock for the uh, Pro Bowl, and there's a few few others. I I think he's all pro. How many players do you think from the Vikings make the Pro Bowl? I mean, you got Kendricks, Daniil. I think Harry makes it in. Um, uh, Kirk's going to make it in. We'll see on really? Harry. On Harry on 2017, Harrison Smith did not make the initial Pro Bowl cut. That's Remember right. that? Because I had the lead, my favorite lead to any story ever after he got two picks in Green Bay. <laughs> it's one of my favorite leads of all time. Can I, I say it? Because I like it ahead. so much. Yes, yes, yes. It was... <sighs> Why did you remember the one part I love? It's like Pro Bowl, LOL. Yes, I was. I, I, the entire lead to the story was more like Pro Bowl with the LOL. So anyway, uh, so I don't know if Harry does make it. You but should have won a Pulitzer for that story. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, cousins, do we think Cousins is a Pro? Bowl? I don't. I don't think. Wait, I, I don't think Cousins will be a Pro Bowler. How many? How many quarterbacks does he? Does each AFC and NFC get? Three, I four, three. right? Three or four? Four. Yeah, those four. So okay. let's list them out. From well, the- we got to think too. Like you, these guys, so you, there's going to be guys that aren't going due to the going to the playoffs. Go, yeah, sure. So, but the, the initial, but the initial, the initial like, list. I still think that he's definitely one of the top four quarterbacks in the NFC. Absolutely, I think like, so. Like you're looking at Drew Brees. Listen, Drew, Drew Brees, what he did last night. Can we just take a minute? Because my was that, God, it was average. It was my, okay. My dude's beautiful. My <laughs> God, that dude is sexy. <laughs> Something wow. sweet. So you got him, <laughs> Kirk Cousins. Who else? Wilson, Russell, and then who else from the NFC? I mean um, Jimmy, but people. I feel like people are so up and down on Jimmy Garoppolo. What about Dak? I mean, look at. But like, if you're looking from an individual, once again, individual standpoint, though, I mean, he's on pace to have fifteen thousand yards in four seasons, and everything he's done this year, completion percentage. But I mean, Cousins has a rating that's twelve points stupid. higher than Dak. So stupid. I think- yeah, but, that, but Dak plays for the in. Cowboys, which always gets you. They bonus always, points. yeah, and then they got to think Aaron Rodgers is going to make because all their fans vote for like six hundred thousand times, <laughs> which is so annoying because you're like, oh my god. But realistically, I think he does. Uh, realistically, though, Kirk Cousins should definitely be in the Pro Bowl, and if he's not, that's another huge snub. Huge snub. Delvin has a shot at it, but this recent injury makes it a little harder because you know that Christian McCaffrey is going to be in. He will he will make it in because most of the voting has probably been done right. before. It's all done. He started, so he'll, he's he's already in. Now, how about Stephon Diggs? Do we think that he has a chance this he'll year to make snubbed. Pro Bowl? I think he's going to get snubbed because when you take a look in the NFC at yards per, yards per reception, just Look like that Michael stat Evans. alone. Um, Chris yeah. Godwin. 
You look at the dudes down in Tampa Bay, they're destroying the game right now. Both of them have like 1,300 yards. So there's two guys. Most that, of that was against the Lions last doesn't week. doesn't matter, though. Like Those dudes have been doing it week in and week out. And they've been playing on a pretty crappy team. So you're like, wow, these guys actually do a really good job. And it's a lot of it is B.A.'s offense of just throw the ball up and we're going to try and see what happens. But to the credit, those guys are really good down there. So those two guys will make it in. Michael Thomas is going to make mm-hmm. it yep. in. Uh, Tyler Lockett has a good chance of making it in because, once again, Seattle people start to vote a ton for their fans. And then you got to think Devontae Adams over in Green Bay. Their fans are going to vote him in. Amari Cooper down in – like, that's what pisses me off. We can't be, like, talk about a legitimate Pro Bowl team. We have to talk about the Pro Bowl team that all the fans are going to put in. So you're like – Yes, Diggs should get in there because of the yards he has on a run-first offense. And at times, he hasn't really been able to do anything, and he's still come out with good games. And, and in doing a lot of that without Thielen, too, right. for a period of six weeks. Is exactly. He's absolutely deserving to be in the Pro Bowl. But people are going to be like, well, he didn't have a good year. I, I, we don't know much about that. Moving on, move along. Like it's just, And then you look at the players, and they're going to be like, eh, who are we voting in this year, guys? We're going to vote in all the backups so that our starters get in? Okay. <laughs> like, there's always so many ways around it. It's so annoying. It, it is uh, interesting, Diggs' year, to me, because he has had more drops than in the past. But it's amazing how spoiled Vikings fans are. If he drops one pass, you'll get a bunch of tweets, Oh, see, Diggs having a terrible year. He's got like five drops, and in the past three years, he's had a total of somewhere in the ballpark of five drops. He has drop numbers that are comparable to Larry Fitzgerald. So, like, he usually doesn't, okay? He usually doesn't. He's over a 1,000 yards, averages the second most yards per reception in the NFL for guys that have been targeted, uh, you know, a certain amount, Kenny Galladay is the only one that's any higher than him. And when Kirk Cousins targets Stephon Diggs, he has 112 quarterback rating. He's way up there in terms of 20 plus yard throws and explosive receptions. Uh, you know, it's 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 weird because Diggs has changed roles so many times, kind of like uh, going from a short receiver, going from a slot receiver when you played with him, Alex, yep. to now a deep ball outside right. receiver. And even though he's had a couple fumbles and a couple drops. I think that there's a case that this has been his most impactful year, especially since Thielen went down. I would agree with that. I think so. And I I think it's interesting, and it shows to the kind of player that he is to be able to go from the slot to being able to move outside. Like, it's a tough transition, and I think for him, he's done it well. Like, how many times have we just seen him run past people? And it's just he makes it look so seamlessly easy, and then all of a sudden it's just like, what? What just? how was that just happening? And it's the way he plays. It's the way he just slips through these coverages, and he's – in my opinion, he deserves to be in the Pro Bowl, but he will not get in this year due to the fact that there are so many other people. That, that's, like, yeah, especially in the NFC. This is how it is. Yeah. Like look, if the look receivers at were spread Sanders. out a little bit more, yeah. like, and they were more in the AFC that were would take, I guess, some of the celebrity and some of the uh, pre- prestige off of Diggs, that would make sense. But I mean, look at looking looking at like yards right now, yards and receptions, and just like average depth. Like you mean Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, DJ Moore's up there, Mike Evans. I mean that's they only get four, correct? Uh, is it only four? Is it four I, or five? Uh, Man, I, I seem to remember I, that it was I, I something like that. How yeah. many it is? Because I don't care about the game at all. So Nobody I forget. But I think you're right that they only get four, which is ridiculous. There should be six. So yeah. yeah, I mean even from the NFC right there, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Julio Jones is probably going to get in. And then do you put Amari in there? That's four. And that's before you even get yeah. to the likes of, you know, Kenny Galladay and Diggs. All right, let's right. Uh, let's take a break here. And when we come back, I've got something that I think will be fun for you two. I'm Ooh. going to ask you guys to make cases for and against 
teams that you would or would not want to play in the playoffs if you are the Minnesota Vikings. Love so it. we will do that when we return. Uh, Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin. We'll be right back. You'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Download the Score North mobile app and register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Amazon.com gift card just for having and registering their mobile app. You'll also have a chance at many other great prizes just for listening. Download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards, or just listen at scorenorth.com. Speaking of rewards, we've got one right now. Minnesota Against the World is a sports trivia game. It's a must-have for any Minnesota sports fan this holiday. The game includes 250 questions with more than 2,000 possible answers that will test your knowledge of your favorite Twin Cities sports teams, players, and moments, as well as trivia from across the sports world. Add a new level of fun to your next tailgate, holiday gathering, or office party created by You Gotta Know Games. Minnesota Against the World is available through Amazon and at select local stores. More info at YouGottaKnowGames.com. That's YouGottaKnowGames.com. I tell you that because callers 4 and 5 to 651-646-8255 will receive their own copy of Minnesota Against the World. Right now, callers 4 and 5 to 651-646-8255. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Alex Boone back here on Purple Daily. And here's what I want to do for you guys. We're going to talk about a team, and I'm going to assign you a take. And you have to to make the case for the Vikings having a good matchup with Team X or having a bad matchup with Team X. All right? Because these are the potential teams that they could play in the playoffs at some point. So let's go through all of them because I think this will be fun. Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, San Francisco, and let's just say Dallas. Okay. Let's okay. just go with Dallas, all right? So let's start with the one seed and the Seattle Seahawks. Courtney, I want you to argue that the Vikings would have a good matchup should they go on the road to play Seattle. And Alex, I want you to make the case that it would be a bad matchup for the Vikings. And I will flip my gum wrapper to see who goes first. No one called it in the air, so Courtney, you're going first. Defense, defense. <laughs> yeah, Let right. Defer. Da- Sorry, Dak. Come on, bro. Really? Sorry, like, man. is it that hard to say defer? You have one word to say. I can't trust that guy's a franchise quarterback. Don't pay him. I'm just kidding. All right, so Courtney, you make the case that the Vikings would have a favorable matchup going back to Seattle. So Kyle Rudolph predicted this he said you know there's not there's not much you can hang your hat on from the first loss I remember talking to him in the locker room saying we're going to be back here in a month potentially we know exactly what we need to do we need to not fumble the ball we need to be better in other areas i.e. pass defense um and uh, so on and so forth I mean they had that game won at several points they beat themselves in Seattle bottom line so why would I have confidence if I'm the Minnesota Vikings? Well, Mike Zimmer fixed the pass defense, right? Underback rotation seems to be working. Less Xavier Rhodes means better things for the Vikings. You're liking what you're seeing from Mike Hughes. Uh, Trey Waynes is sustainable the way he's playing right now. Everything seems fine on the back end. And when you're looking at Russell Wilson, what's the big thing we talk about here? Throws on the runs, throwing the deep ball. Well, the last time that they played in Seattle, he was one of five on deep passes that game. So it really wasn't something that he tapped into his arsenal all that much. And it could have just been, I don't know, were like eight guys sick that game? Be they all the flu? Tyler Lockett yes. being one yep. of them. Um, so outside of that 60-yard pass to Matt Moore, excuse me, David Moore, uh, the one that Xavier gave up in the third quarter and then slammed his helmet in the ground. Yeah, and, guys named Moore were a real problem. Yeah, a real problem this year. Um, like They didn't have a whole ton of success 
like stringing stringing a, a deep passing game together against this defense. So yeah. I'm confident in that aspect that defensively it's not going to be part two or picking up where they left off in December. On the other side of the ball, too, I mean, think about what Kirk Cousins did to get them back in that game. Yes, the last play maybe should have moved his feet a little bit more, but I think when you are you can avoid being in that situation when you have a healthy Dalvin Cook who isn't fumbling because he's getting hit in the exact same spot both times uh, they fumbled in Seattle. So health of that, you'll have Adam Thielen back. I mean, I think that it looks like a marginally different game than it did last last time in Seattle and that they would win should they go there. All right. Alex, the case against the Vikings wanting to go to Seattle at some point in the playoffs. I think that, number one, you, you deal with when you go there in the playoff game, and it's a whole different atmosphere. And it's already a different type of atmosphere when you go there. So this is a team that's going to be super rocking. But did, was the pass defense really fixed? Like, I agree, seven turnovers is huge. But to begin that game, it didn't look like the game was going to go the way it was. Like, it started out very different. And at one point, it was 10-9 to 9 at, like, the two-minute mark. And Phillip Rivers was kind of having some fun and doing what he wanted. My biggest fear would be letting Russell Wilson get going like that in his own house. Yeah, I agree. There's times where when Russell can get out and you're like, wow, that did not look like him. But he's on a momentum drive right now. They've taken the number one seed, and that's the one thing that scares everybody is Russell Wilson with enough momentum. I think that they're going to get some players back that are healthy, and that too could cause some trouble up front. And and, and more importantly, you look at some of the guys on their offense, especially in the Chris Carson. Like, What's going to happen when they keep feeding him the rock? Are they going to be able to stop him a second time or not? I mean, one of the best things about Chris Carson is he just puts his head down and he runs as hard as he absolutely can. And that's how he gets all his yards. And that's one of the reasons that their offense is so scary is because if he does hand it off to him, man, that dude is a low to tackle. But if he doesn't, Russell Wilson can make any receiver look good at any time. And that is a, the biggest fear in the NFL. Okay, I'm going to have to give round one because I'm going to play the judge. Cause why not? It's my Whoa. judge. See, now you've yeah. introduced yourself as a judge. You told us there would be a judge. winner and a loser here. In this. No, I am the host Whoa. and judge. I kind of want Jonathan I think Jonathan be should be it. That's Thank the third you. party. Jonathan was doing a giveaway, so he didn't hear your arguments. So I am judging round I one. I can't do this round. And uh, ah. All right. Uh, you can do round two. We'll go yeah, back fair. and forth. Um I'm going to give this round to Alex because what? I think that going out there. You told me to come up Russell with a convincing Wilson. argument. I, I took, even though I don't you believe. Job. I don't believe the argument. <laughs> the whole I don't think the past defense is fixed. I okay. came. I presented you it though. Have to, you have to sell it though, Courtney. I, I thought I did sell it. it. Oh, you did man. sell it. You just lost round one because the stronger argument went to Alex. All right. The second team is the Green Bay Packers. So I okay. will get, assign you, Courtney, to making the argument. Against. Uh, against playing, wanting to play the Packers. Alex, you get the argument for, and we'll switch order this time. So you have to go first, Alex. Make the argument that you would want to play the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Uh, it's the Green Bay Packers right now. I mean, I think that they're a team that I, I, I hate to say this, but I jumped on a little bit before and I was listening to the guy who was on before that I don't know if he was the beat writer for Rob, Green Bay. Yeah. The yep. dude was a total blah, right? Like he's just over here, like, you know. You know, I think they're trying to figure out what works well for them, and they're just going to, you know, play best. And they're kind of scratching along. Listen, this, this team is scratching along. They're they're winning games, and there's times where I joke and say Aaron Rodgers isn't washed, but you're like, dude, did he really just throw that ball? And I and you think about how he's done against the Vikings, and yeah, going to Lambeau sometimes scares us, but right now this team, this defense, is not what they were at the beginning of the year. I I think people look at the Smith brothers and they're like, okay, Zadarius is kind of taking off. Preston's, you know, he's getting his pressures and he's doing what he can, but. This team, to me, but other than Dallas, yeah, I'm all for going to Lambeau. Let's go. We're going to give the ball to our running backs, and we're going to run it right down your throat this time. 
I don't think that this is a favorable matchup for the Minnesota Vikings because of who is playing quarterback. And I know that there's the argument right now that he is the problem. He is this offense's biggest, man, I guess it's the offense's Achilles heel. He's washed Mishka Washerson. But I tend to think of what happened, like I, <laughs> what I brought up with Rob, asking him whether this team reminds him more of that 2011 team that went 11-5 and and then they lose in the first round, or does it remind you of that 2010 team where they were just kind of okay? They were second in the division, they were 10-6, and six, and then they go win a Super Bowl. Granted, the supporting cast around Aaron Rodgers is not where it needs to be, in my opinion, to realistically vote making this pick. Because uh, I agree with Alex. I wanted Alex's pick. I might just jump over there. But I'm making, I'm making, taking the counterpoint because this, is the, this has turned into a debate show. So I think that if you have Aaron Rodgers playing at a level where he gets hot these final two games, he annihilates the Vikings here on the road, he you know, washes the floor with Detroit, and then you're going into Wild Car Weekend at home at Lambeau Field, which is going to be a raucous, insane playoff environment, that Aaron Rodgers, if the defense can play the way that they did more closer to that first time around, they can bail him out when the likes of, you know, ball goes through Marquez Valdez-Scantling's hands, or if they can't get the run game going with uh, Aaron Jones. All right, John. Can I just uh, say that? I yeah, agree go ahead. With, can I just say that I agree with what Courtney said there? That I think that that would be bad if they did let Aaron Rodgers get going this week and into next week and then into a playoff like that. That's very real. Jonathan, who do you think uh, had the stronger argument there? Pick wisely here because I'm getting feeling incredibly competitive. Yeah, remember, uh, I'm, I'm in the same the room soon. with her, and she has not had lunch, <laughs> as far as I know. That is dangerous. I mean, I agree with Boone. I, I would want to play the Packers if I'm the Vikings right now. They just don't seem like the stronger team, the stronger, one of the strongest teams in the NFC playoffs. All right. Also, I, when, I, I, I was going to say, clear, I do agree with Alex. When, I was just given this side and I had to defend. Yeah, I want the tough when, one next time. Give me the tough when, one. When you stop mid-argument and say, I actually do agree with the other guy, <laughs> that really hurts you. But that yeah, hurt your, yeah, that did I, hurt your I think we all are in agreement that going to Green Bay isn't that bad of an outcome. I actually think of that would probably be their most favorable first-round matchup, all personally. Right. Now, let's see. Because I, I want to make this uh, fair competition. Unlike the Vikings' easy schedule, I want to make the schedule the same for both of you. So, Courtney, I want you to make the argument that the Vikings would not want to go to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And, Alex, I want you to make the argument that they would want to go to New Orleans. So, you go first, you Courtney. Well, I mean, I think just for the fact of the matter, the Dome is one of the loudest, hardest places to play. It goes into a completely different environment in January, which the Vikings do, historically speaking, not on this team, but they know that. Um, And they really, when you think about the last time that this team played in the playoffs, it didn't go so well in the second half. Like When Drew Brees can find, outside of what happened uh, on one final play, but when Drew Brees can find a weakness in your defense and keeps attacking your corners uh, and and you blow a 17-point lead... Like, that's something that could happen very easily. Again, the level that he's playing at right now, the level that Michael Thomas in an MVP caliber season, like, nobody can cover this guy. I don't know what you're going to have to do if you're Mike Zimmer when you're thinking about, okay, typically we shadow somebody of that caliber, but what are you going to do? How much attention are you going to devote to him? Because it's just going to leave the other side of the field um, or wherever else, like, leave it, you know, vulnerable for the likes of. Latavius Murray, Alvin Kamara, throw in whatever the Joker position, whatever they decide they want to do that day with Taysom Hill. That's kind of scary. So 
Um, I think their offensive line, for as much as we talk about with Andres Pete not playing right now, I mean, shouldn't he be back? Shouldn't they be back to like their full health by the playoffs? If Larry Warford like, is okay after yeah. last night, they're going to have a great so offensive line. They've in got, and, and that's I think with a guy like Drew Brees, you just cannot underrate that at all. Um, their defense is good. I mean, they've outside of a few clunkers here and there, the one notable loss to the Falcons. I mm-hmm. think that this is a team. Uh, that you really want to stay out of the way of, especially having to go to their place in round one. All right, Alex, you are in tough with this argument. Let us hear your debate skills. Could you debate Skip Bayless on a daily basis? We will find out right now. Go ahead. Make the argument for wanting to play New Orleans. Okay, number one, I'm going to give you my number, my MVP of the defense that I said, Eric Kendricks, right? We're going to put Eric Kendricks on Alvin Kamara, and we're going to say, listen, dude, whatever we got to do to stop this guy, you got the reins. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Because, listen, everything in this offense is not around Alvin Kamara, but a lot of it is the productivity around him. He, They want him to be the feature back. And, yes, I get it. Drew Brees, let him stand back there and sling it to Michael Thomas, who, yes, at times can be a very violent receiver. Who better to play than the Minnesota Vikings? You want to be violent against us, too. We got some violent cornerbacks. We actually kind of like being a little physical. Let's let's get this going, because I think that, honestly, you say what you want. People have a lot of eyes on the Saints right now, and they're kind of like, dude, this team's going back into the playoffs. Are they going to get bounced out like they did last year? I bet you the, the refs are going to let these dudes play a little bit down there. And they're going to say, hey, listen, Saints, if you really want it, we're going to let you take it. So, yeah, here we go. Here's our second day. We're known to be a little physical. We got Kendricks in there to take care of Alvin Kamara, and then we're going to let our front four boys. Dude, listen, I get that people think the Saints have a great offensive line, and they do. They're really good, but they're up and down right now. They're kind of getting hurt. We saw Larry get hurt yesterday. Larry's a good friend of mine. I hope he's nothing wrong with him. I hope he's okay. But if he goes down, that could be huge, especially because you already got Nick Easton in at left guard. Dude, we're going to just feast on these dudes. We're going to TT him. We're going to TE him. We're going to ET him. <laughs> and on offense, what are we going to do? Dude, we're going to have Dalvin back by then because he's going to be totally fine. We're going to hand the ball off to him, and we're going to do exactly what the 49ers did to him. We're going to hand the ball off 40 times, and then we're going to play action. We're going to get him all over the field misdirection, everyone's going to be falling into everybody, and we're just going to keep pounding the rock downhill all day. Yeah, go ahead. Let your fans get up. We want to see how up they can get after we give Dalvin Cook the ball 20 times. I want to see your defense come out super fired up. Series 4, after I've let Dalvin run it down your face 40 times, I want to see it. (laughs) All right, a compelling argument, Jonathan, but good enough to be convinced that the Vikings would want to play the Saints. In New Orleans, no. Sorry. Yeah. The presentation Sorry, was good, but the argument just yeah. not strong enough. So Courtney, I think you guys are, nothing, you already Courtney know who one. you want the Vikings there's, to play. That's nothing yeah, that you convinced me that you would want to go down to New Orleans, especially after last night. All right. San Francisco is our next team. Uh, so, Courtney, you get to argue against, against against wanting to play San Francisco. Alex, you get to argue for. So, Alex, go first. Argue for wanting to play San Francisco. All right, listen, if you're going to go for San Francisco, uh, I mean, if you had to go after them right now, I'd say they're hurting in their back end a little bit, you know. They're, but they're going to be getting some guys back, but you still got to test them. And the one thing about San Fran, because they're another team that I watch very closely, is you got to be able to control their front four. If you can control their defensive front four, defensive-wise, I think that you slow them down. And they kind of become this team that's like, man, they, our weaknesses are going to start to be a little more glaring. On offense, dude, you have to shut down George Kittle. Absolutely. I think you look at this and you say, here's another time we can put one of our linebackers, one of the best defensive players in the NFL, on George Kittle. If this dude 
doesn't have a day, nobody on the offense can have a day. Look at the last game they played. He had 150 yards, surpassed uh, Ditka for the most career yards as a, as a tight end. He was the only one that had any yards the entire day. He was super excited. The rest of the team was super lulled to sleep. So you stop the run game. You stop Kittle. You shut down the front four. Dude, you could, you could feast on those dudes as well. Yeah, I wanted to pull up an article that I read from The Athletic the other day because it's going to help me uh, make my point here that we do not – if I'm the Minnesota Vikings, do not want to play this team. So you think about offensive line. Let's start there. Like This team has an incredible pass rush, and if you are hurting on the interior, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, I don't know if I want to put all my chips in the basket that Pat Elfline is not going to struggle in this game, that Garrett Bradbury isn't going to struggle when you yeah. have Eric Armstead, Forrest Buckner, uh you have Bosa. I mean, you can who else? Move Bosa yeah, around I mean, you can play want, him a yep. lot of different spots. Um, that to me is is the first uh, the first area I would really be concerned about. The second, outside of that, so they're tenth allowed in points per drive in the first quarter, and this is the team that typically starts out hot. The Vikings, that is, they're seventh according to this article from Shiokapedia of the Athletic. I really like this stat when he, they're tied for seventh in terms of. First drive, get out to a fast start, offensive efficiency on the first drive. Um, so Cousins is averaging 9.3 net yards per p- pass play, and the only that's only second to Aaron Rodgers. Well, what happened the last time that the Packers played Aaron Rodgers? They took him out of the game early. 49ers. For, so yeah, yeah, 49ers played, right. the, uh, uh, 49ers played the Packers at Similar home a few weeks ago. Similar offense. So... For four first quarter drives, the Packers were shut out. Do I think that that might mirror what would happen with the Vikings? Potentially. Okay, Jonathan, your ruling? Uh, I don't want to play the 49ers. Okay. Oh my so, gosh, I went out uh, three to one. You're give it to Courtney. Now, okay, for our last uh, team, which is Dallas, here's how I'm going to do this. Because I think it's much tougher to make any argument, but I think I might be able to do it. I am going to assist Courtney in making the argument that you do want to play the Cowboys. Or, or, I'm sorry, that you don't want to play the Cowboys. I've had don't the for the last few, have I not? Don't we need to flip it? Oh, yeah, we need to flip it. So I'm going to so help go Alex, Alex that. I'm going to help Alex make the argument that you don't want to play the Cowboys. So, okay. Courtney, you go first. Why would you want to play the Cowboys in the playoffs? I mean, they've been a mess. Like, what is this team? <laughs> you could team? probably stop like, right there. There we go. Yeah, that's that's all you true. need there. It, it dropped, like, 24, 23 passes. Do I think that, like, they're just going to all of a sudden turn it on and be perfect and play flawless football, which you're going to need to do even if you're at home, um, considering we saw how tough uh, that game was for Dallas to kind of claw its way back. I mean, the Vikings and Mike Hughes at that time did make it somewhat easy, but now that we have a cornerback rotation, it's a totally different thing, right? <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> Problem, Problem solved. solved. Um no, I mean, like I trust Dak Prescott in the pre- in the playoffs more than I do the rest of his team. But as we know, I think that could potentially be like a Rodgers like situation where you do so much and you just cannot get your team over the hump. So I would say that they wait. What's my argument here? What am I? <laughs> what is your argument? Again? <laughs> I have no clue. Uh, well, they are a mess. See, that's why you. They are a mess. That's why you would want to play them. I said you should have stopped after they're a mess. Well, okay, that's why you would want to play that, them. So is yes. What you mean. Now I have it here oh because you get back to you get back to his receivers dropping all these passes. You get back to probably I don't know half their defense is injured right now, anyways, and they've had ups and downs there. So yeah, sure. I mean, it's a hard place to go and play. I think that that's probably like a Saints type environment that's totally different in January, but. Um. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Wow, debate class uh, did <laughs> that not was super fabulous. Can I, I'm going to actually help you with this one. Jason Garrett has no idea what he's doing well, and has nearly been mess, fired. Period. He's nearly been fired several times during this season. Yeah. So that's not. Well, a I think good the look play calling. If we're going to take it a step further, there, like w- what happened the last outside of the Rams game five weeks before that. 
what happened to Ezekiel Elliott? He didn't get 100 yards rushing in any of those five games. He completely disappeared at a time where the receivers were completely failing Dak Prescott. So why wouldn't you try to feature more um, you know, screen passes, you know, short passes to the running back out of the backfield? That surprised me. So... There, there's your that, that can help this, you, Jason. This is Garrett worse argument. than pie charts, where you get confused, so confused that where you're arguing. <laughs> I think the, the, the argument. This is what you want to say: is if you, the only reason you wouldn't want to play them is because number one, they just beat the Rams, right? And they didn't just beat them; they kind of annihilated them, in the face. them. Yes. right? Yep. They were kind of like, hey, and this is and this is the biggest problem I have with the Cowboys. Number one, stop calling them America's team; they're not America's <laughs> team. Nobody cares <laughs> about you. the Cowboys anymore. We actually kind of can't stand Jerry Jones and his nonsense. But when you look at these guys. You say, okay, listen, they beat a, they beat a, a Rams team that's tough. I'll say that because they're not good to me. They're tough. And then you say, in order to get in the playoffs, they have to go beat the Eagles and then whatever the Redskins. But the Redskins are still going to play them tough. So you got to say they're going to have to be on a roll to get into the playoffs. And in order to do that, Zeke's going to have to get started. And he kind of did the other night. And if he continues to kick, keep going, he makes this offense a little bit easier for Dak because it's not one-dimensional anymore. Dak, in my opinion, and I agree, people are like, dude, He's good. He's not good. He's okay. He's an okay quarterback. Like in order to get forty million dollars, you better be Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson. Good, dude. I'm sorry. You have to be the only guy in the field to get the win on your shoulders. It can't be like, well, everyone failed around him. Yeah, uh, Russell Wilson doesn't have anybody. Who the hell ever heard of Chris Carson? He does it by himself. Aaron Rodgers, Valdez Scandrick? Like, when I first heard that name, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Are you, like, you're talking about these players. You're like, who are these guys? It doesn't matter. The ball hit him square in the chest, and there was no way he could not catch the ball. That's what a great quarterback does. That's what $40 million gets you. I'll get the win. Even if the other 10 guys are sleeping on the field, boss, I can get it done. So, yeah, if you look at maybe going down there, it could be a tough game because they're going to have to get on a roll, and in order to do that, Zeke's going to have to get started. And I'll just assist that argument uh, because it does need assistance since they're seven and seven with 397 yards passing from Dak Prescott the last time that you went down there and they've got uh, one play to potentially win that game and they didn't. So think about that environment, even amped up to the playoffs Mm -hmm. and against a team that you did not exactly run onto the building. Uh, now I, I still think this is this is going to be tough, even though Courtney got confused, and even though <laughs> you some love, dude. talking to myself in a circle. I tried so hard. I, I yeah, I know, and and Alex is over there like sweating profusely. I had to convince myself to the like nth degree, dude. Do say something. <laughs> I'm going to say the better argument was Boone's. Just Thank you! Just because you yeah. got confused. Yeah. Because he didn't, he didn't halfway through start arguing for the other side. But <laughs> I heard you go back for so like, wait, what? So, so even though Alex wins the competition, I think that we have our answers. And it's th- the answer is still that you would be okay with playing Dallas. But yeah. they are a fascinating roller coaster that if it peaks... You should be afraid. And if it hits a low point, you're going to win by 30 points. They are the most unpredictable of all these teams. Would you guys both agree with that? Agreed. And I I think that the Packers can be, they are more predictable now than they were the last time these two teams played. I mean, granted, it was week two. You didn't have a huge sample size. But from our, I picked that you wouldn't want to go there. So I'm going to take the opposite side. I mean, they, Dallas and Green Bay, to me, seem like the best bets. I just think it's going to be impossible to get the five seeds. So I've already put it in my mind that they're going to Lambeau or going to New Orleans in week one of the playoffs. You agree with that, uh, Alex? Yeah, I think when you're looking at this, dude, you don't want to go to Seattle. You don't want to go to New Orleans. You don't want to go to Levi's. I mean, those are all places that not only do they have really good teams, but they have great fan bases, too. And that sometimes adds a little bit of added pressure to it. And not that it's like... 
oh my god, I didn't know it was going to be loud, but sometimes when it's definitely loud for 45 minutes, your mind starts to get jumbled, and you're like, dude, what am I, like, you start to hear things and random hmm. whistles, and you're like, did I hear a whistle? Did I not hear a whistle? I, I swear, in U.S. Bank Stadium, teams do the goofiest stuff they, that do. they never would have done before. It's because your mind is like, dude, I can't hear anything. It's a constant white noise in your head for the longest time, and you're like, dude, I'm starting to hear things. This cannot be good for me. It's so, it's bad. Let me let me ask you a question, Alex. Um, as a former player, just before we wrap up, I had this written down that I want to throw this at you. What did you think about Josh Gordon being suspended again um, for substance abuse? Because I would guess that players inside of a locker room uh, look around at somebody who makes that sort of mistake again and say come on man there are ways to handle some of this stuff if you need to um but also i feel like you have to feel bad for a guy who has continued to struggle with this for his entire career who has so much talent i agree and it's it's tough because you're like dude i mean i don't you don't know what the substance was and if it was weed you're like good god dude what the hell it's not worth it like you know they're going to constantly keep checking on you. That's how the system goes. This league is too big now that they can't let things like that go. And yeah, while it's so minimal and like minuscule to life, it's still a big deal to them. And there has to be authority from the top down or else everybody just runs wild. The biggest problem I have is the PED. There is absolutely no room for that in this game. I mean, you talk about guys that have to go out there and slam their head against the wall 60 times a game, and then you talk about putting something into your body to make it even crazier. Like, there has to be a line that we all are like, man, we can't cross over there. And to get suspended for both of them, you're kind of like, dude, at this point, I just keep them out. Cause that's he, just, he needs more help than I think anything that football can fix. I don't think it's so much help. I think people just sometimes forget guys don't care. We just don't care anymore. Listen, dude, I just want to smoke some weed. I don't care. And as a teammate, you're like... <laughs> Listen, dude, you got to care. You're in the program. You right, have yeah. to care. You know you're in the program. You know you can't go smoke that. And you certainly can't be putting anything in your body that you know is illegal. Like, as a teammate, you're pissed and you're upset and you're disgruntled because you're like, man, they gave you so many chances. And you're one of the best athletes to ever come in this league. And it's such a shame that you don't value your own productivity and the platform that you could have to the young Americans to to do something with it, that you would just go smoke weed and not care and go take steroids and do all that nonsense. It's crap to me, and I'm so sick of it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a fair way to look at it because I, I guess where I feel bad for him in a way is that he hasn't been dedicated enough to make the sacrifices, if you want to call it that, that he has to make or get the help that he needs to make. At this point, getting him help, I mean, he should have already had that happen about five different yeah. times. And, Dude, and I think it's over for him. The team can it's, only it's, insulate you so much. I mean, you are an adult. Like, you're not under right. 18 where you are literally under parental supervision. Like, at some point, it has to be, regardless of whether it's an addiction issue, which it certainly sounds like it is, like, the team can only go so far. Yeah. They cannot be living with you. Right. All right. Uh, sorry, we got to wrap up. Debaters, you did okay for the most part. Um, so, Courtney, got, I thought you were great. It got, it got I, next time, I want to hear Matt debate something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nobody wants that. Smoke, Come on, Matt. As the kids say. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, tomorrow at 3 30, we've got a mystery guest for Alex Boone. Alex, you're going to pop on tomorrow at 3 30. We have a mystery guest I for you. I am so excited for and you, Alex. Who if is this, it? If this mystery guest goes wrong, I'll quit the show. It's just, <laughs> I'll just be so upset. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna make that happen at 3 30 tomorrow. You're definitely going to want to listen. Courtney, Alex, thanks for your time, and we will talk to you tomorrow on Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 